Well, it's just good to see all you guys. It really is. Oh, and those of you who are visitors, this is your first time I forgot to say. I'm, my name is CJ. I'm the pastor here, senior pastor here. And we are grateful and excited about you being here with us. And our, our desire and prayer is that you encounter Jesus and realize how much more he loves you uh, when you leave here today. And we pray that your life is changed. And that's not just for the visitor. That's for everybody, by the way. We want everyone's life to be changed. Would you stand with me? And let's pray. Let us pray. All right, let's put our hands over our hearts. I pledge allegiance. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, Father, we just thank you for your goodness. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. We open our hearts to receive from you. Our intention is to hear what the Spirit of the Lord says and to embrace it and apply it. And so, Lord, we choose to put aside the distractions and we choose to focus on what you're saying to the sons and daughters that you love. And we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Going to be reading out of Hebrews chapter 11 out of the Passion Translation. And I will be ending, I think I'll be ending, let's just say I intend to end today, the series that I started several weeks ago about continuing to dream. It's important to dream again. And But who knows, maybe the Lord will encourage me to keep talking about that. But we've been talking about that for several weeks. And today I want to talk about a particular aspect. I want to talk about the importance of faith. I want to talk about true faith. And it may be from a different angle or a different, different way than you've heard it. Because the Lord's been showing me some things that I'm really excited about. It's got me all fired up and everything. So out of Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 1. It says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. So now faith brings our hopes into reality. Faith brings our hopes into reality. And it becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. So faith is pretty important, isn't it? It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. It's all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, the Old and New Testament, in chapter 11 here, it, it, talk, it begins to go into, and we'll go into some of them, but it talks about men and women of faith who believed God, who trusted God, and saw and experienced the impossible. And because of their faith in God and what they did, the crazy things that they did, the crazy faith, the trust that they put in their father, we're benefiting from that today. They paved the way so that we could have relationship With the Father. So let's get down to verse 6. And without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. Did you hear that? Without faith living in us, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith knowing that He is real and that He rewards the faith of those who passionately seek Him. So without faith, it is impossible 
to believe God. Because true faith says, I believe God is real. I believe God is real, and I believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So in other words, I'm going after an invisible being because I believe he exists. And the reason why I'm going after him is because I believe he'll reward me. So that's what faith is. And so without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's impossible. Verse 7, faith opened. So we begin to talk about examples of people who actually walked in faith. Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warnings from God about what was coming, even things that had never been seen. You know, God began to talk to Noah about building an ark. Noah said, a what? He said, an ark. A what? An ark. What's an ark? You know, a boat. A boat? What? A boat for what? For the water from the rain that's about to come down. What's coming down? Rain. What's rain? You know, it had never rained before. And so God was telling Noah some stuff that he was oblivious to. But you know what Noah didn't do? He said, God, I don't understand this. Until I understand this, I'm not doing nothing. He didn't understand what he was really doing. He didn't understand what rain was. But he trusted God. He had a relationship with God enough to cause him to do something that would take him several, several, several years to build. And when people say, hey, no, what you doing? Building an ark. A what? An ark. An ark for what? You know, it's a boat for the water from the rain that's going to be, what? So you can imagine the, the, the confusion, the persecution, all that kind of stuff that he encountered because he was obeying God. You know, a lot of times God will tell, if you haven't noticed, he will tell you to do things that don't make sense. Anybody ever experienced that before? And sometimes it's not until the other side of that obedience that you understand why. But some people have to wait until they understand before they obey. That's not faith. It doesn't take faith to to trust God when you understand. So verse 7, faith opened Noah's heart. Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warnings from God about what was coming, even things that had never been seen. But he stepped out in reverent obedience to God and built an ark that would save him and his family. And by his faith, the world was condemned, but Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. You know, true faith moves us to action. True faith will move you to action. So verse 8, faith motivated Abraham. Anybody ever heard of him? Father Abraham. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. Let me read that again. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So God had something unfamiliar for Abraham to inherit. But in order to inherit the unfamiliar, he had to leave the familiar. See, some of us want 
We want things from God. We want to move in God. We want, we want to experience the miracles. We want to experience all these things, but we're not willing to let go of what we're familiar with in order to grab a hold of what's unfamiliar. God has promises. Remember, we've been talking about dreaming, dreaming big. God has put things in your heart that he wants you to obtain with him. But many of us may not ever or we will never reach that if we're not willing to let go of what we're familiar with. In other words, it's got to make sense. I got to know where I'm going. I got to know what it's going to look like. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a couple of families up here talking about God calling them out of new covenant into something different. It's like, wait, what? Where are you guys going? I don't know. What are you going to be doing? Not 100% sure. We know God's put things in our heart, but we're not exactly sure where we're going or what we're doing. It's like, wait a minute, hold on. Let me help. Let me under, see if I understand this right. You have jobs. You have a wonderful church family that you're familiar with, that you're comfortable with even, that you're settled in, and you're going to leave that to go and do something that you're not really sure Wait a minute, you, you have jobs right now, and you're going to leave that, not having a job set up, not having situations set up, and you're going to let go of that to go after that? Yes. Why? That doesn't make no sense whatsoever. You know, it doesn't make sense to set aside a job with benefits. When you have a family, to go to something you're not, you're not sure what's going to happen. You know, Abraham had his home and everything he was familiar with, his family. And God said, I'm going to give you some land. Cool. He said, go. He said, where? Just go. Just go. Wait, what? You can't tell me. Can you just tell me where I'm going? Just go. Not only does faith move us to action, but it will cause you to leave the familiar so that you are able to discover the territory that God wants to give you. See, the Tovars and the Parkers believe that God is leading them into something that he's calling them into. Not just a cool idea. Now, cool idea, that'd be silly. But it's something God's leading them into. And the process that they're going through, the transition that they're going through, is not just in them leaving this, this church or their jobs. The transition that's happened or that's been going on already is the transition of their heart. Letting go of what they're familiar with to grab a hold of actually to hold the hand of the Father who's going to take them into the unknown. And to see to many people, that doesn't make sense for people to do that. I mean, it's okay and it's cool when we read about it in the Bible, right? It's okay when we're reading about it. But when people actually start to do stuff like that in reality, that, that whoa, whoa, time out. Are you sure? That sounds crazy. But see, it's when we're willing to do the crazy in God, not for the sake of crazy. When we're willing to put our faith in someone that we're, we trust, that's when you experience 
the amazing, the miraculous. God has called every single one of us to experience amazing and miraculous with him. But only those who are willing to let go of the familiar are going to experience that. God says, I have some amazing things for you, but you need to let go. So faith faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise without even knowing ahead of time where he was going. So he left with only a promise and not even knowing ahead of time where he was going. Abraham stepped out in faith. Stepped out in faith. I believe that's what the Tovars and Parkers are doing. They're stepping out in faith. With only a promise, not knowing fully of what God has for them. Verse 11, Sarah's faith embraced God's miraculous power to conceive, even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise. The authority of her faith rested in her faith. Is that what it says? The authority of her faith rested in her faith. Thank you. Making sure you're paying attention. The authority of her faith wasn't in her faith, but it was in the one who made the promise. See, the authority of our faith isn't in our faith. It's in the one who made the promise. It's in the one we're trusting. It's in the one we're believing in. It's not our faith. See, a lot of times we exalt and elevate our faith. I have faith. Do you have faith? Let me compare your faith to my faith. My faith is 10 ounces. I bet you only have three ounces. And we get into this thing of of exalting faith. And this, this thing, but it's the author of the faith. That's who we exalt. That's who our confidence is in. It's in the one who made the promise. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise. And she tapped into his faithfulness. His faithfulness. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith. So now it's talking about Abraham, her husband. I lost my place. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith, one who was as good as dead, that he now has offspring as innumerable as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them, but they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belong to another realm. You know that Abraham, I was reminded of this by Pastor Dale recently, but Abraham was given a number of promises, one that he would have a son, one that he was going to be given land, one that his children, his offspring would be as numerable, you know, you couldn't even count them. And, that, and also through his seed, through his children, his offspring, the world would be blessed. 
That's what God promised Abraham. And do you realize that the only promise that he saw out of all of those was he got a son? He got a son, Isaac, right? And when he died, those other things had not happened yet. He didn't have all these offspring. The world hadn't been blessed through his seed. That hadn't happened. He didn't even have the land. He had to pay for a piece of that land so he can bury his wife and him to be buried. So he didn't even, he didn't even experience all those promises. But guess what? They died believing. They died believing the promises that the Father said. And see, now us looking on the other side, we saw that all those promises were fulfilled. Over 400-something years later, they got the land. Their children are innumerable, uncountable. You can't count them because that includes those who have faith in Jesus. And the world has been blessed through his seed, which is Jesus. Amen? So we've seen the fulfillment, but when he died and she died, they had not seen it, but they, they held on to it. They held on to it because they believed in the one who made the promise. Sometimes God will give you promises, and sometimes you may not see the fulfillment of all of those promises in your lifetime. But will you die believing? Will you hold on to the last breath you breathe Will you say, God, I, have, I don't understand this. I know you told me this. I believe you said this. I don't understand it, but I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to believe. I'm going to hold on to the promises. I remember one time the Lord asked me a question. This particular question. He's asked me a lot of questions. But this particular question. And there's things that he's put in my heart for a long time. There's big things that he's put in my heart that I believe he wants to do through me. And I remember he asked me, he said, Will you be okay if the things that I put in your heart, if I accomplish them through another person? I said, wait, what? No, I was not okay with that. No way. You put those in my heart. Those are my promises from you. Mine, 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 mine. And I only remember him asking me that one time. Will you be okay? Would you be okay if I did what I put in your heart through another person? That didn't sound right. I don't know how long it took me. I can't remember how many days or how many weeks or months. I don't remember how long it took for me to say, Jesus... Yes. If you have put things in my heart, but you end up doing those through another person, I want to do everything I can to help that person do what you want to do. If I'm going to be a part of what you're wanting to do, so be it. If I don't see it happen through me, I'm okay with that because I want what you want. See, sometimes the promises can become an idol. And it becomes our focus, and it becomes, this is mine. And it becomes the thing that we focus on. And then when that thing that you've held on to, that promise, when it dies or doesn't seem to be happening, then what typically happens to the person who was idolizing that thing? A lot of times they wash out. They become disillusioned. 
disappointed, angry, bitter at God. You lied to me. Anybody ever met people like that? And so it's important to hold on to what God has put in our hearts. But we need to hold on to it in such a way that if it doesn't work out the way we think it's supposed to work out or, or that we're holding onto his hand tighter than we are to this thing. Because, see, he is good all the time. He's faithful. He's true. He's not like man that would lie. But sometimes it doesn't work out the way we think. I mean, I've had a lot of things where I feel like God told me this. And then things happen. It's like, wait a minute. That's not what I thought. But it happens in such a way. It's like it happened, but it wasn't the way I thought it was going to happen. It's like, oh, okay. That, that makes sense. God, you're pretty smart. But we have to be careful that the promise doesn't become an idol. The only idol we should have is God. He's the idol we're allowed to worship and have. Amen? Verse 13, it says, these heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belong to another realm. See, people who have faith in God, see what they're realizing. And when we, as we keep going, people who, are, who do incredible things that seem really crazy to the natural mind, God and his realm, his reality has become more real to them than their current, than this reality. Let me say that again. God and his realm, the heavenly realm, the kingdom realm that we cannot see, has become more real to them than what we see. How real is Jesus to you? You know, the disciples, the ones that, he, that walk with Jesus, see, they saw Jesus. We never, we've never seen Jesus with our physical eyes. They saw him with their physical eyes. So we have an opportunity to have more faith than the disciples did. Because blessed are those who... Do not see, but yet believe. So we don't need to have faith like the disciples. Our faith can even be stronger, can bless God even more, because we didn't have that opportunity they had. But I choose to believe in the one whom I can't see. But it's not just a mental assent. It's not just a mental agreement. It's when you develop such a relationship with him that he becomes so real to you and me. And he wants to be that real to you. You know, I remember back, I'm not the only one who remembers, I'm sure, but remember when Columbine, that tragedy in Columbine, Colorado, in Colorado happened. And the, and the people who were going around killing the young people, they would ask them a question, do you believe in God? And if they said yes, they'd kill them. In all that chaos, one thing I took away from that that really moved my heart. 
Imagine what it's like to have a gun pointing in your face. You see the finger on the trigger, and you answer a certain way that's going to cause them to pull that trigger. It's like there's a bullet about to impact me. Is Jesus as real to you as that bullet? Apparently he was to some of those kids because they said yes, knowing the consequences. Yes, I believe in God. Guess what? They were with him. I want my faith to be so that whatever I faith face is not as real as Jesus. Where Jesus is so real to me. God is so real to me that whatever I'm experiencing pales in comparison. That's what these people experience. That's the kind of relationship they had with him. You know, real faith will cause you to live a certain way because you are longing for something bigger, something that is promised later. Faith, true faith, will cause you to live a certain way because you are longing for something bigger, something that is promised later. Are you living for the now or are you living for him? And I'm not talking about just living for heaven because, you know, people say, well, you know, someday I'm going to be in heaven. Someday I'm going to be in heaven. And I don't believe it was just that that motivated these people. Even though it talked about them looking for something, and it even talks about later on about a city that God was going to build, a city whose maker was God. But I don't believe it was just that city that caused them to walk in such faith. I think there was something more. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 14, for clearly those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. And if their hearts were still remembering or clinging to what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn back, for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater, that is, the heavenly realm. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God, for he has prepared a heavenly city for them. Their focus is on something different than the temporal Their focus is on something different. It talks about a heavenly city, but I think there's another component that's even bigger than the heavenly city, and we'll get to that in a moment. Let me talk about somebody else that you guys might have heard of before. Verse 24, faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. will True faith will enable you to choose God's will over your own will. True faith will enable you to choose God's will. For although he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity, choosing instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God. Moses was brought up in the palace of Pharaoh, and he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. So as far as Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh were concerned, Moses was their kid. He was one of theirs. Moses was raised in royalty. Now, Egypt was the most powerful nation on the planet. 
So Moses was raised in the most powerful kingdom, had everything he could have wanted, everything. But it says he refused to make that his identity, choosing instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God. Moses preferred faith, faith's certainty above the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasures. Do you hear that? Moses preferred faith, faith's certainty above the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasure. Now, that's kind of crazy to think about. There's something right there at his disposal, right there in his face, right there, that he could touch, taste, feel, see. But he saw faith certainty as more real than that. And he was willing to put aside the pleasure of sin to have something in the future. He was even willing to suffer. We know what they went through. He found his true wealth in suffering, abuse for being anointed, more than in anything the world could offer him. For his eyes looked with wonder, not on the immediate, but on the ultimate, faith's greatest reward. For these people, something and someone invisible was more real to them than what was in front of them. For these people, Moses, something and someone invisible was more real to them than what was in front of them. Too many people are only living for the temporal. In other words, what they can taste, touch, feel, they're not willing to wait. Too many people are living for the temporal. You know, in other words, if I can feel it, if I can taste it, if I can touch it, if I can see it, smell it, that's what's important. That's what's real. But these people were willing to exchange what was in front of them for something that was unseen. You know, why should I not commit adultery? Why should I not have sex before marriage? Why should I not allow myself to stay entangled in pornography or sexual sin? Why? Is it because I want to be a good Christian? Or is it because the Bible says not to? Well, you know, you can't do that. The Bible says not to. There seems to be a lot of people who've read the Bible, and who are doing it anyway. Is it because I love my wife? I shouldn't do those things because I love my wife. But what if I'm not married? There's got to be a bigger reason than just being a good Christian. You know, I, I learned this just this, the other day, and, and I know I'm very naive, and I don't know a lot of stuff. But I was with uh, an officer and, and with another pastor, and, and they were talking about this pastor was doing a ride-along with an officer. And they came across a young lady, and I'll try to give the PG-ish version. And she was distraught, and she was crying. 
and they encountered her. I don't know. I can't remember the circumstances as to why the officer and, and this pastor was, had to encounter this young lady, but she was crying very distraught. It's like, what's wrong? She had met a young man through an app. My hand represents a phone that has apps. <laughs> through an app. Through this app, she hooked up with this guy, met him in Walmart, then went out to the car and did a few things. And then she realized that she did a few things without protection. So she was distraught because it's like, what have I done? I'm like, what? There's an app, what? And, and the police officer, who a high official officer, way up there, was like, he's looking at me like, what planet are you from? I'm like, what? There's apps that young people use to hook up. Like, are you kidding me? And I was thinking, wow, glad I didn't have that access to that when I was a kid. But there is so much out there. There is so much access to trouble. There is so many ways to make bad choices very conveniently. Like, what is going to keep a person from engaging in all that? Don't do it because the Bible says not to? No, he was telling me one story of a, of a lady, college girl, who hooked up with this other guy. And, it, and he was married and lived in Edmond. And came to Oklahoma State to hook up with this girl. I was like, why? Why should I not do that? Why should you not do that? It's got to be something bigger than being a good Christian or even because the Bible says not to. And that reason is the same reason why Moses was willing to put aside his identity as a son of the king or a grandson of the king and choose to suffer with the children of God. The same reason is why Moses, excuse me, Abraham was willing to leave the familiar and go somewhere where he had no idea where he was going. But it's bigger than because I want to be a good Christian or because the Bible says not to. I hate when my app resets. Got to find my place. Here we go. Verse 30. Faith pulled down Jericho's walls after the people marched around them for seven days. So did you see what pulled down the walls? Faith pulled down the walls of Jericho after the people marched around them for seven days. Faith provided a way of escape for Rahab, the prostitute, avoiding the destruction of the unbelievers because she received the Hebrew spies in peace. And what more could I say convincing you, say to convince you, for there is not enough time to tell you of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith 
fastened onto their promises and pulled them into, they fastened onto their promises and pulled them into rea- reality. It was faith that shut the mouths of lions, that put out the f- power of raging fire and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. Although weak, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into battle array. Verse 35, faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. I'd like to turn over to Daniel chapter 3. Real quick. Because it says that one of the examples was faith. It said something about quenching fire, the flames of fire. Faith quenched the flames of fire. And that's talking about three Hebrew kids, three Hebrew young men in Daniel chapter 3. And I want to go through that really quick. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officials and all these important people and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations, languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the music, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7, so at the sound of the music, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. In other words, they tattled. They tattled. How many of you guys appreciate a good tattletaler? They said to the king, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the music. Verse 11, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not mentioning any names, but there are some people we know about whom you have put in charge of the providence of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. How many of you appreciate a good tattletaler? They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? What God? <laughs> I'm sure there ain't any. That's what he was saying. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Pause. First of all, notice with what respect they're talking to this king who's trying to get them to worship him and his idol. 
They didn't say, who do you think you are, you punk? Go and worship that thing. They did not have that attitude. They were very reverent in their conversation, but they did not compromise. And they said, if you throw us into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But check this out, verse 18. But even if he doesn't, even if he does not, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. Even if he, he is and he will, was their decree, was their belief, because they believed in the God that they believed could do that and would do that. However, they said, if he does not, we're still not bowing, your majesty. And then, of course, Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, okay, I'm good. That's not actually what happened. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. I think that's funny myself. Someone had got so mad at their face. <laughs> I bet that was pretty funny. Now, I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were laughing, okay? I don't, I don't get the impression they were laughing at that point. His face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army, talking about a waste. He ordered some of the strongest men of his army to throw them up. Let's see. Strongest men of his army to bind them and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed these mighty warriors as they threw the three men in. Talking about a waste. Anyway, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. So they were thrown into the fire, fully clothed. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we sure, certainly did. They replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And a fourth looks like a god. In most translations it says, or looks like the, the son of God. Hmm, wonder who that would be. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the furnace, excuse me, flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials and all these important people gathered around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothes was not, were not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn, from limb, torn limb from limb and their houses be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted these three to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Now let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 11.
And so we read about these men and these women that did these amazing things and saw all kinds of miracles. And it said, shut the mouths of lions. We know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Quench raging fire. We just read the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People escaped the sword. They fought battles and were victorious. And faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. These people were full of faith, and they saw amazing, miraculous things happen on their behalf. Amen? Then it says, in verse 35, the second part, Yet it was faith that enabled. Everybody say, it was faith that enabled. Yet it was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. So now we read about people of faith and what they encountered and experienced, and we're, we're continuing to read about people of faith and what they encounter and experience. Yet it was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured. They didn't deny their faith in order to be free. Because they longed for a more honorable and glorious resurrection. Others were mocked and experienced the most severe beatings with whips. They were in chains and in prison. Some of these faith champions, everyone says faith champions. Some of these faith champions were brutally killed by stoning, being sawn in two, or slaughtered by the sword. These lived in faith. They lived in faith. As they went about wearing goatskins and sheepskins for clothing, they lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions, and they were cruelly mistreated. They wandered the earth, living in the desert wilderness, in caves, on barren mountains, and in holes in the earth. Truly, the world was not even worthy of them, not realizing who they were. Now listen to this. These were the true heroes commended for their faith. Yet they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised them. So sometimes faith also looks like having the strength and grace to go through horrific trials without griping, grumbling, or giving up. Sometimes faith looks like victory, like we think victory looks. But sometimes faith looks like what we don't think it should look like. Severe persecution or all other kinds of tragic situations. But in the Bible, it talks about both, calls them both sets, heroes of faith. And God was definitely honored by them and pleased with them. So what is it that causes people? You know, it says that they refuse to be set free. In other words, it appears that they were given the opportunity, deny Jesus, and we'll let you go. And they said, no. Kind of like, do you believe in God? All you have to do is say no. If you say no, I'll let you go. But if you say yes, why would I allow myself to be ripped apart by a lion, knowing that that's about to happen? Or being sawn in two. Or these other things that they went through. Why 
Should I say no to sexual sin? What causes people to live that way? The Bible talks about their faith. You know, the Bible also says faith works by love. See, what I believe was behind their faith was their love for God. Bottom line. Simple. I don't have to try to figure out what faith looks like. I don't have to try to figure out how it works. I simply love God. And I simply trust Him. Regardless of the circumstances that I find myself in. There are times, and believe me, we want you to learn how to fight the good fight of faith. We want you to learn how to, and know how to pray for the sick and see them healed. Jesus told us to raise the dead. He told us to do all kinds of things, set captives free. And we want to learn, Lord, how do we do that? How do we apply our faith and, and do those things that you want us to do? Because you see that all through the New Testament. But we also want people who love God when things happen and we don't understand. In other words, when we can say, God, I love you, man, I appreciate your healing. I appreciate you setting me free. I appreciate that million-dollar gift you gave me. You are worthy of praise, hallelujah. And in the same breath, we can still praise him when our loved one passed away. When I haven't experienced the healing that I'm believing God for. But I still worship you, God, because you are worthy. And the reason why we say no to sexual sin, adultery, is it because I love my wife? That's a good reason, but that's not why. What if she disappoints me? What if she makes me upset? Then I could, and if that's why I'm not doing it, because I love my wife, then all of a sudden... Maybe she's gone, or maybe she's disappointed me or whatever. Then I can justify. Well, it's not about her anymore, so I'm going to do what I want to do. It can't be about her. It can't be because I want to be a good Christian. When I was battling the pornography and all that mess I told you guys about years ago, loving my wife was a motivator. But the greatest motivator was my love for Jesus. That's why. That's why I don't do this. That's why I don't do that. Not because, well, the Bible says, well, it's important to do what the Bible says or not do. But when you're faced with temptation, if someone's throwing themselves at you, or there's a situation that's right in your face, you're probably not going to be thinking about what the Bible says to do or not do. You're probably not going to care. Someone's pointing a gun in your face. You're not thinking about, what does the Bible say I should do in this situation? Either you love Jesus in that moment or you don't. You know, Joseph was an amazing example. When Potiphar's wife was throwing herself at him, he only knew one thing to do, run. I am out of here. Why? Because he loved God. He did not want to sin against God. What's going to cause these young people and, and any people, it's not just young people, but in our sexual saturated society, what's going to cause us to remain faithful to our wives, to our husbands? 
What's going to cause us to remain faithful even if we're not married? And it's like, this is wrong. What's going to cause us to say, God, I worship you and I say no to this? It's our love for him. What's going to cause me in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of chaos, everything falling apart, everything going to hell, and I say, God, I'm still going to love you because you're worthy. Plain and simple. I don't understand why this isn't working out. I don't understand why these people aren't getting healed. I don't understand why you're not answering me. But I know that you're good. And I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm not going to stop following you. That's the true faith right there. Faith works by love. Loving Jesus with all of our hearts. Loving Jesus. Would you stand with me? You know, one of the reasons why we sing a lot of songs that talk about the love of Jesus and my favorite songs, how his love is reckless, how his love is crazy and sloppy wet kiss, you know, all that kind of stuff, is because like our main desire is for you to get it, how much he loves you, how passionate he is about you. Because when you get that and you fall in love with him, see, that's the game changer. That's the game changer. When I'm sitting across the desk of this man who is a universal Aryan brotherhood, white supremacist, in a white supremacist gang, and a week after he decides to follow Jesus, he says to me, and I didn't have this conversation with him. I didn't tell him what he needed to do or not. He says, CJ, I cannot be a UAB and follow Jesus at the same time. I cannot have love in my heart and hate in my heart at the same time. And I'm thinking, who have you been talking to? Nobody. He was by himself, isolated at that time. And I hadn't had that conversation. Well, you know, you really can't be in that gang and follow. I didn't, we didn't have that conversation. But he was telling me what he could and could not do because he had fallen in love with Jesus. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. He's the game changer. Your love for him. Recognizing his love for you. That's why we do crazy things when God tells us to do crazy things. That don't make sense. Amen? And this is why you are going to make such a difference, not only in your families, at your workplace, in this community, in this state, and in the nation, because you are so radically in love with Jesus. That's the reason right there. Because out of that comes everything else. Faith works by love. Faith works by love. Loving him. Amen? Father, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you so much for reminding us. Helping us to recalibrate our faith and put it in you. The author and finisher of our faith, Jesus. We love you so much. The dreams that you've put in our heart. We want to see those fulfilled as they glorify you. And we want to do everything we can to play our part to honor you, Father. Because it is about you. Thank you so much.
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and have a wonderful week. And please pray for me this next week. Thank you.